Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Behind the Racket Pod, the podcast taking you behind the racket with today's top tennis players and biggest issues facing the sport. Behind the Racket is a community to give fans and players in the world of tennis the opportunity to open up like they have never done before. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. It can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now... For a recap of Wimbledon this large, we needed to bring in some extra help. Blair Henley is here as we get to sit down, and I'm I'm still wrapping my mind around this and introducing Wimbledon quarterfinalist Christopher Eubanks on the pod this week. Um, Christopher, there, there's a lot to get to today. Um, Christopher, Christopher, Wendy, <laughs> Mike. You, that's what it says on your ATP. That's what it says yeah, on your ATP profile, and now you're a your you're a big deal. You're a member of the yeah, 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 final eight. Never. I don't believe you've ever called me. <laughs> I, that's true. I've not. Um, so, on I think it was Saturday. I, I started receiving. I'm going to get just the ugliness out of the way, Chris, and just get the really hard hitting question out of the way. On on I think it was Saturday. I received texts from roughly five or six different people. Uh, And then we've talked about it in the group chat as well. Your life has expanded so large over the last couple of weeks because of what's happened that all of a sudden Barstool Sports is just doing all sorts of um, investigations into your love life, apparently. And I I don't know how to ask this question, but uh, how did you talk your parents (laughs) down? And how did she get into Mike's life? How did you talk your parents down from this article that you have been uh, your your Wimbledon success was due to an adult film star? Wow, Mike, you just coming out the gates, man. I thought we were going to bury that one where it lies. Okay, Uh Uh, yeah. So that was a bit of a surprise to me as well. So. Apparently, uh-huh. based on the article that you're talking about, uh-huh. yes, a lot of my uh, success in Wimbledon was attributed to a certain adult film act- actress yeah. who made it a point to come and support some of my matches, uh-huh. and but seemingly also taking a picture of the player guest logo on the floor. Mm. And it was a bit of a shock to me because I had no idea that this adult film star was at Wimbledon in the first place. Uh-huh. It was it was uh, a bit of a I guess I don't even you can't even call it an oversight because I just had no idea. So I ended up get, seeing the article as well. We're getting a heads up about that article that you're talking about a few hours before it dropped, and I I couldn't. It was very vague what I heard, so I was like, how it. I'm so confused at this. But then once I read the article, I said, oh, they're just putting together. Mm. I mean, very well done. Great investigative report. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy because I thought it was worse. Because I thought I I thought it was going to be worse, too. So I had no I was like, Trump filled. What is I was like, is the Trump side worse or the adult filmmaker worse? Yeah, I I I was I was so confused. And I, I didn't know what to expect. Like I said, it was very vague and said, hey, this is what it's going to say. You know, just kind of be be prepared for it. 
and so I'm I'm for the next maybe 30 minute hour, I'm just kind of like checking my phone, refreshing <laughs> Twitter. Like, I, what did they say? Eventually, I just said, you know what? I can't really control. I'm going to go to sleep. It's been my it's been my uh, my recipe. Anything gets a little too like, yeah, I'm just going to go to sleep. I did that. And then I woke up and I saw it in the morning and I saw the article. I said, oh, here it is. I read it and I was like, oh, that. OK, never mind. I just went on about my day, you know. It's fun, but it's funny that you brought that up, Mike. Well, job well done to you and your and your uh, your investigative team. Job well done on finding yeah, that. It's one. like nude nude war over here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, congratulations. I I think I speak obviously for all of us um, who were watching from afar. It was it was an incredible run, an incredible couple of weeks. Um, I, I guess. The, the first question for me, and, and then I'll let, let Blair do some actual journalism at some point here. Um, how, how are you <laughs> processing it over the last couple of days now that you've actually had the time to be home, be around people who you've known for a long period of time, and just how, how are you taking it all in at this point? Yeah, it's uh, it's been very – I didn't know what to expect, I think, coming back. Um, I had some friends who came over for the quarterfinal match. We got dinner that night. And when we did, they made it a point to say, man, like in Atlanta, you're you're all over the news. Um, you're you're in, you know, the local pizza shop They're If they're airing a replay of a match like they have that on and people are watching. And I just said, guys, come on. Like, it's yeah. OK, sure. And, and they were trying to they were insisting. They're like, no, man, like you'll see like it's not it's probably not going to be is just kind of free flowing as, as you're used to. And I was like, guys, come on. Like, yeah, it was a big deal. It was Wimbledon. It'll die out and people are going to kind of forget. So I, we, uh, I stay for another day after I lose. And then the following day I fly home and I get to the airport. I'm in the customs line and I can't find my passport real quick. So as I'm getting to the front, so I step to the side, I go on my bag, I find it. And the moment I kind of stand up, the people who were right there at the front of the line, who I guess paid me no attention at first, they were like, uh, Chris, you makes? And I went, yeah, yeah. And they were like, oh, we were watching you run at Wimbledon. So cool. Can, can we get a picture? I'm like, sure. Okay, no problem. So I take a picture with them. And then all of a sudden, another group, of, uh, like two or three people asked me for another picture. And I'm like, okay, this is this never happened before. Like, soon as I step off. So I'll take a couple pictures, whatever. Uh, get in the car, grab bags go to first stop for me it's going to be the original chick-fil-a the chick-fil-a dwarf house it's (laughs) it's like my first stop i have to do it so i go in there and i sit down and when i sit down i can see there's a couple people looking at me not just like oh he's tall but they're looking like kind of like staring a little bit i was like oh i wonder if they they know whatever i go to the restroom i come back there's a guy full-blown looking like this (laughs) staring at the and trying to nudge the kid across from him even like a teenager, it's like to, to kind of look in my direction. And I was like, oh, yeah, they see me. Okay, this is weird. And then uh, as I'm getting ready to pay, I stand up. A guy who was sitting directly next to me sees me, and I guess just it clicks right then. And he turns to me, and he goes, hey, you back. Hey, my son also went to Westlake. We're so proud of you. Like, keep it up. Like, did it and gave me a fist bump. I was like, man, like, this is this is different. This is weird. So I've seen – I've had to adjust to a little bit of that uh, since being home, just out of the ordinary. I, I – Earlier, a couple hours ago, I went and ate at one of my favorite Mexican restaurants. And a guy came up to me saying he went to high school with my older brother and they were supporting me. And I'm just like, okay, thanks. Like, it's weird. It's very, very weird. And it's something I'm not used to. Um, but I think I'm I'm handling it fine. It's not, it, it hasn't, hasn't been like, you know, like just massive outpouring of people coming up to me. So, it, but it, but it's like, yeah, I go to the mall. I've got noticed. I go to restaurants. I get noticed. Like it's, it's a little weird right now, but I think it's, it's, it's just, just uh, it's cool. Right now, it's still a cool kind of weird. It's an easily adjustable, like, oh, you know, I just, people might speak to me more when I'm out and not just tell me that I'm tall. Now they actually know <laughs> what I do. So in that sense, in that sense, I'll say it's it's definitely been a positive because now people don't ask me about basketball nearly as much. They just assume they figure it out <laughs> and we just deal with tennis. They ask about tennis. So uh, long story, but like that, that's kind of been the adjustment that I've had to kind of do. And, it, and it's a bit weird, but like I say, it's, it's been fine. Yep. My follow up on that is, have you been a tennis player in the United States for all your life? You really thought the attention was going to die out for an American player heading into the U.S. Open. Is that really a thought that you had, Chris Eubanks? Yes. But the, the thing is, I understand within the tennis community, it might, it's definitely going to be a lot different, I think, for me at tournaments, at least over these next few months. 
but this is just my, my, my mind kind of sticks to the outside tennis community still won't care. You know, we, I didn't win it. You know, if I won it, then that's when people I feel like really, really start to care. But I, I knew that, you know, having that run at Wimbledon, especially my, my time at tournaments is going to be a lot different. And I think the buzz around it is going to be different. I think that's cool. Like that's something I kind of, I guess, somewhat expected, but just getting noticed at like a restaurant in Atlanta, just getting, trying to grab food. Like that's not, I didn't fully process that. Oh, that comes with it. Like there are going to be, be people who maybe don't know that much about tennis, but may know you now. And I didn't even think of that at first. And when I, I spoke on the, the podcast, like with, with Francis and Ben that time, and I talked about, you know, what comes with a big grand slam run. I was thinking specifically about like kind of the tennis effects of it, not necessarily outside of tennis. So yeah, it's been a bit of an eye opener for me. I will say it's a bit different and I, and I hate to say it because I have to like fucking compliment you on it, but it's people like you, like it was different, you know, and, and Francis's run was unique at us open. We saw that, but people were actually like, I like this guy. Like I want to go out to dinner with him. I want to hear him speak and I want him to be the only one speaking. And that is what <laughs> we heard. And I was like, you don't really know him. Like relax, take a second out. But that's what people wanted to see. And I'm curious if in the round of 16 match, how much pressure you put on yourself to be like quarter was sound really good. You know, quartering is very different for even though it's the second week because that that is well, especially after what he said in that that conversation Mm -hmm. with with Francis and with Ben just about how quarters at Wimbledon is special. You said second and second week is a huge deal. You get there. It's a massive. But round of 16, you can't that's explaining to somebody but quartering. What what was that? Any thought go in? Yeah, you know what's funny is throughout because I think Mallorca started it and it meant that I just played the next match and again because I think Mallorca being a Saturday final, there, there wasn't much time in between each match to really kind of consider what was happening in the moment. Like even in the quarters there, I never really thought like, oh man, I've never been past the quarterfinal. Like this would be cool to make semi. And then I semi'd and it wasn't like, oh man, I the semifinals, this is big. Like now I'm Oh, now I'm in the final. Oh man, I'm in the final of an ATP. I never, I didn't have the time because every match was pretty much. We started on Monday and ended on Saturday, so it was just kind of playing, 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 playing. What's the next match? Okay, finish that match. What's the next one? Finish that on uh, Saturday. Get to Wimby on Sunday. So that day is a bit of a tough of of a wash, kind of, just because I was just trying to fill the court and then had Monday off and played on Tuesday. But then again, it was Tuesday. Play, play, play Thursday, play, play, play Friday, having to deal with rain delays and stuff back and forth. My focus was really just on the match. And I never really considered like the round. I knew the round. Like I knew what it was. I knew what it was. But after Nori, for instance, I hadn't even really looked at the draw. I didn't know who the next player was. I had no idea who came out of that side. So then uh, Ruan says, Oh, you play O'Connell. I was like, Oh, okay. So then we played Chris, got through that one. And then um at, right after the match i did an interview with brad gilbert and he's the one who told me city pass was up two sets on a break i didn't know city pass was the next player i had mm. no idea i was just literally looking at who the next opponent was and then that's kind of where my energy went and so even after the match with stefanos i don't think i really realized i was in the quarterfinals until probably the morning of the match it was the first time that i like had a realization that wait i won four matches at a slam just now like leading up to this and i and i don't think that that it was about five minutes the morning of the match i don't think that played in in any part in how i played or not winning i don't i don't think it it, it was just about a five minute stint while i was waking when i woke up i looked at my phone and obviously my phone was going crazy but so i couldn't get to all the messages but i checked a few emails and i checked normal social media feed and my whatever and it was just i was like man i'm in the quarters today this is wow and so I didn't really consider it in the fourth round. It was just kind of like, all right, what am I going to do to try to upset stuff? Like that's kind of, it wasn't considering, oh, I wanted to make quarters. I had said I was going to, I wanted, would love to have had that opportunity. I think if I had thought about that stuff, I don't think I'd probably win that match. I genuinely don't. When I say that though, the past three weeks was just a blur of matches. It was just, what's the next match? What round? Uh, I don't know the round. Okay. What's the next match? Okay. That's a matchup. I can focus on what's the next match. It wasn't like a man. I'm in the semis of a 250 or a final of a 250 or or third round of a. It was just like, all right, I play Chris O'Connell. Okay, I play Sitipas. Okay, I play Medvedev. But before that morning of that Medvedev, I was like, whoa, 
this has been a wild few weeks and I <laughs> and I kind of just took it in for a little bit then so yeah I, I know going into the match with Steph in the fourth round I didn't have that like wow like oh my god moment it was just like all right I gotta play Steph see what happens it's good things happen and then I was like oh cool I I have two follow-ups to that uh number one are you Stevie Johnson was I was in Chicago Stevie Johnson was there and he said I, I think he's gonna win the whole thing like he actually he actually said that he's just like it's not Taylor it's not Riley it's not Tommy it's not any it's not me it's not any of these guys it's it's Chris Eubanks he's going to win Wimbledon are, are you telling me that you really didn't at any point have this just like holy crap I could win Wimbledon that's that's number one and number two your second round in Mallorca I know you're kind of just looking play at play play you beat Ben Shelton uh, he, he got you twice at the end of last year and then obviously the quarterfinal in Australia how much did that mean so those are my two yeah no I never really for a second said I'm gonna or thought that I was gonna win it it's just it wasn't a I could say that was probably that was the furthest thing from my mind if I'm mm-hmm. being honest it wasn't even about the magnitude of oh I could win Wimbledon it was like oh I, I have to beat like the opponent and and I know it like it might sound cliche but it just it it was what it was it was just like I was looking at the opponent but around that quarterfinal time like say that morning of that match when I did kind of have a wow moment there, there was a little bit of for a split second like oh that's to play Akaraz to play Novak like you know just kind of for a split second like thinking about what could be but at the end of the day that was still 15 sets away like it was or however well no I had to win it with nine more sets to that point it, it wasn't I didn't even think that much about it. It might have probably would have been 15 sets the way that I went five sets in the fourth end. <laughs> was it like nine quarters? But, was it like imposter syndrome though? Like how often do you say, "Oh God, I, I got to play Alcaraz and Novak to win a slam"? Like, did you feel like no, what not the really? Fuck is just because I, right I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't sit in that space that long because I, then I was just like, oh, "I got to get Medvedev's gotten me like." But even Sissy Pasta Medvedev, that. like, how often is is that happening? You know, especially. Like, was that a thought of, like, what am I doing here? Uh, uh Yeah, I think there was definitely a, a couple of times where I had to, like, blink and say, man, I played, I beat Nori. To play, and then be Sitsi. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, you've seen you've seen guys um enough times, players in general, who may have a big upset at Wimbledon or a big upset in a slam, but then they have a hard time following up the match after. But then, like, it was a big kind of wild to me to think that like I followed it up, not just the match after, but the match after that. And that one was against the top five player. Like that was the the one that I was kind of like, again, when I began to reflect later that I was like, that's, that's pretty special. Like that, that was pretty incredible. Like not just to follow up the win um, against cam. Cause I mean, I, I still say, I think that match against cam, maybe some of the, like, yes, the Sissy pass match was incredible. Obviously fourth round, top five but to play the number one brit at wimbledon in court one my first time on court one that win will always be really really special and probably be the win that really sticks out in my head the most of all of them um just considering the 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 magnitude of of the court that i was on against who i was playing in their home country that one i think still is a little bit more special um but yeah after the fact i I did like you said have that question like how did this happen how did i get past the nori and then the o'connell and then the stuff like that's crazy but then i would quickly if i spent too long and i was like all right how am I going to serve Medvedev if he stands super deep? Like, you know, then it kind of just went back to X's and O's. It just, it made things easier. It kind of quieted my mind. And that was kind of, yeah, that was, that was the, the thought process um, surrounding that. I want to hear the Shelton answer as well. Uh, the Shelton answer. So yeah, second round, I mean, I, I, we, I played Ben and uh, I mean, there were, there were obviously going into the match, no, no real secrets amongst us. I knew I was going to have to serve well because I'm like, man, especially the courts of Mallorca really, really suit big servers a little bit more than others. I think um, the bounces at times could be a bit more inconsistent. The court's a lot jumpier. So you do get a variety on the kick serve and stuff. So I knew that I'm like, Ben's going to come in and be kicking me so far this way. And then hitting a 140 in my body. Like I got to try to serve well to just apply a little bit of pressure. And I mean, I think there was a lot of moments in that match and the quarterfinal match against Lloyd, in which I just straight up got lucky. And there's no way around it. I got lucky in the tiebreaker. I guessed right and then hit a net court on a point um, in which he came in, I think, to give me like one of the first mini breaks. I I had some let courts that really went my way for the past three weeks. I had some against Ben. I had some against Lloyd. I had some against Nori. I had some I went on a run of some let courts that were just falling in my favor. So that also played a part. But yeah, I mean, it, the, the match itself, I thought was it was a fun match. It was an exciting match, but it, it did feel it, it did feel pretty good. Like I was like, man. 
finally got that young boy, like at least once. And 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 I joked with him and I said, you know, you got to let me have at least one, man, because this might be one of the only ones I ever get off of you. Uh, so it, that was that was cool. But no, that was a really, really cool match for me. And, you know, to to to, you know, win it, to get into the quarters and then how everything else played out afterwards. Obviously, that match was huge. Any All seven, right. six and the third in a run like that's huge. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. I texted you during that, or it was maybe after, and I was like, "I have, we have to go back to this, or I have to find it somewhere." Because people were giving you, giving Ben shit for losing to you. Yeah, and and then you know a week, yeah, it was like I can't believe you lost to this guy's a bum. Like, can't believe you lost to him, especially on grass. Like, the guy was just talking about how much he hates grass, and and then you win nine matches later, and the guy's like, I'm sure whoever this guy's in his basement is like, fuck, that was <laughs> bad luck there. Yeah, the loss doesn't look that bad after the fight. Oh, that's tough. All right, well, I have, I mean, I have so many questions. We could be here all night. We won't be here. All we night, can do it. No, we can. We can. I, I kept you guys waiting because I was too busy sleeping. So I was actually. I I took a nap because I was looking forward to this and I wanted to make sure my mind, my mind was fresh. But boy, that nap took over for a little bit, I'll tell you. Uh, well, first of all, I want to get at some point to the winner count because I still mm-hmm. can't quite wrap my head around that. But I want to touch on first something that Noah said, which I feel like we're all nodding our heads, is that you connected with people the way I mean we know a lot of people who have had big runs in big places and we personally know and love them but they have not connected with the greater public the way that this run did it doesn't take long I don't think for people to say okay he's a he's a good dude and I feel like in that space the result is people start wanting things from you mm. and they they want to make requests and I'm I'm curious at 27 like obviously at a college would have been great to have an experience like this at 22 but do you think in some ways you are better suited for it all at 27 1000% one that I don't think I don't think I I don't think I handle what comes with it I don't think I would have been mature enough to handle it at 22 or 23 and to divert real quick, I was watching a podcast yesterday where they were talking about Nikola Jokic, and he made the comment about how basketball is a job and nobody likes their job. And Draymond Green was talking about it, and he says, listen, like we all love the game of basketball, but the job of what comes with it is a thing totally independent. The press, the getting treatment when you don't feel like it, the doing the, the you know, your strength and conditioning sessions when you don't feel like it, like that's the job of basketball. When you get on the floor and you're just playing, he goes, we'll do this for free, but it's what comes with it. That is the business behind it. And it's what can turn a lot of people off. I think in this run to Wimbledon, I got to see more of the business about it, about a run like that. And just the things that come with it, like the, the phone going off at all hours of the night. My, when I had that first run in Atlanta in 2017, like I couldn't sleep after matches because my phone was going off so much and I just wanted to check it. I wanted to respond to everybody. I wanted to check it. I wanted to constantly have it on in case someone wanted to check my social media at all times. I kind of didn't, hadn't had that much of a crazy run since really Miami. And I think Miami kind of prepared me a little bit because there I kind of left my phone off a little bit. I, I was e- It was easier for me to kind of, see the phone going off and say, I'm not going to check it. I'll check it whenever. Whereas in 2017, when that happened, I wanted to check everything like live and up to the day, up to, up to the minute. So I think that it kind of helped me that it, it, there was a little bit of time in between. And when this happened, it was just, especially around semis or finals, Mallorca, it was, I put my phone on do not disturb. And I had the people that I like really needed to talk to or wanted to talk to, or if I saw messages from like you, Blair, or Mike, or Noah, I would always respond to those. But there were some people who I'm just like, I, I got to get to you later. Like, I'm just not, I just can't overextend myself. And I, I don't think I do that at 22 or 23. I think I still try to please everyone. I try to hit everyone back. I try to do every single media request. Whereas now, like I did some, and then there were some, I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Like, I just can't, I can't just keep doing this like over and over and over again. So I'm a bit more selective on the 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 media stuff that I'm taking on because I always I still want the tennis to be the main thing and I don't want to lose that. 
but when I do something, it's like, okay, this interests me, or I'm talking to, I, I text Mike, I think even before the tournament was up, mm-hmm. maybe it was before the quarterfinal match, before the Sitsipas match. And it I was. said, uh, BTR pod, when you this did. is over, it was and, before Sitsipas. And, and he said, no. So I'm sure <laughs> he quickly changed his mind. Um, but yeah, so I've done a decent job of kind of being able to separate the thing that things that come with it or the business side of tennis and just still stay myself and just focus on the tennis when that time comes. So, yeah, I definitely think I'm way better suited to handle it now at 27 than me at 22 or 23. I Should we get to the winner count? Yeah, do I, it. We, 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 I mean, do it. Yeah, I just I know it's a billion. But I mean, three, <laughs> three, 321 tournament record, the most winners ever struck in a championships. And you lost in the quarterfinals. <laughs> Explain. I mean, I those are like zone numbers like zone numbers but people generally aren't in the zone for like match after match what why explain to be honest i don't know it it didn't feel like i was going out there just trying to crank it didn't feel any let me say it didn't feel anything say out of the ordinary i kind of go out there with an aggressive style if i get a short ball i'm probably going to clock it and we're going to live with the result i also think that i had never played well i know i had never played what was that five best of five matches so that was going to lend itself to having a higher winner count anyway, um, just because of the style that I play. One match being four sets, another match being four sets, um, one match that was, you know, three sets, another match that was five sets, and another match. Like, I had enough time to rack up a lot of winners. Uh, I was on court well, so do a lot of so other people. people, yeah, right. people <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, Federer yeah, had that true. opportunity a lot of times, you know? Like, <laughs> I guess that's true. I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, it wasn't in, like a, a concerted effort to try to be overly aggressive. It was just the balls were there to be hit, and I was like, well, I've been hitting them well for the past week, so I might as well just, you know, give it a crank and see, and then <laughs> then at that, a certain point, the confidence just continues to grow. Like some of the backhands up the line that I came up with, some of the returning that I came up with just in good moments was just co- more confident than anything. It wasn't it wasn't a concerted effort to say, I'm about to just keep everything short. It's like I tend to keep points short anyway. I was just kind of, I, I, I did, I will say there were certain points and pockets, I think of the Nori match, at the end of the O'Connell match, and for the second, third, and a lot of the fourth setting is method for I was like, man, I'm hitting the ball well right now. Mm-hmm. Where I just knew it. I could just feel it. I'm like, oh, today's I, today the ball feels really good off the strings. And I, I, I know that pretty quickly usually. But, yeah, it was like Blair said. It was, it's, I haven't felt that sustain for like an extremely long time or like multiple matches. I, I get you a good one, maybe even two. But like three and four, it was it was pretty pretty uh, different than, than um, I'm accustomed to. On the athlete side, just out of curiosity, obviously you said hit a decent amount of winners. But the body, how how did you survive, or did you feel anything, or was it nothing? Did the body funny. feel okay throughout? I I felt complete. I feel completely fine. I didn't feel a single ache or pain or anything out of the ordinary. It was just like Must be it, honestly, <laughs> it honestly just felt like I was getting re- waking up and then just playing a first match again. Like there were times in which, say post match, I felt it. Maybe like getting going on the off day practice, like getting going was a bit t- like just getting jump started. But when match time came, like every match I walked on court, I felt 100%. I was, I was very, and to be honest, I was a bit shot. I was waiting. I'm like, Oh, it's the shoulder. I've been serving a lot. It's the shoulder going to start giving me problems. I mean, I lived in the training room. So I was getting stretched, hip mobs, massage, um, started to do ice baths later in the tournament, but I was living in the training room. It nothing. Thank goodness. I, I think goodness for it, but like, uh, knock on wood, nothing came up. So that means they they had Cracker Barrel over there too, or or I mean, were you? That might have been the reason the body held up. <laughs> they didn't have Cracker Barrel over yeah. there. What has changed about your game? And and I want to bring Ruan into this as I'll well. Bring Ruan. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean this with all due due respect. Like Ruan hasn't reinvented the wheel here. He hasn't like come up with this new invention of how to make Chris Eubanks the best version of himself necessarily. That maybe some of the coaches you've had in the past probably had some of the same similar type of things to say. So what what is it about this relationship? What is it about you now that's allowed you to kind of take in some of these different thoughts about your game? Because I, you're, you're, you've are you're been a stubborn guy at times. I mean, you have yeah. very distinct thoughts about your game. So how how have you kind of let Ruan in and, and allowed you to flourish? Uh, I think that part of it also is timing. 
at the, the the first tournament that Ruan and I started, which is the U.S. Open last year, the tournament that I played right before that was the Chicago Challenger. I lost first round, and I hit a point where I just I was I was just over it. I had a conversation with Dean Goldfine. I was like, Dean, I'm sick of being in challenge. Like I'm I'm really over it. Like and I and I was and we sat down. We talked for like 10, 15 minutes. I said, I know I can be better than this. But I'm I'm just over I I just feel like I owe it to myself to try to just start being a lot more uh, particular about every little detail because like this thing that I'm doing right now is really really frustrating and I'm I'm just I'm sick of it and I think Ruan was the perfect guy at the perfect time because he was when he played like he was very professional already he would go and see the physios more he would go and get stretched he would go and get tournament off for massage he was going to get one so i think in that timing in which we got there luckily the first tournament with the u.s was the u.s open where it's a bit easier to get all of that extra stuff in all getting the warm-up and the cool down there's tons of bikes all the way all the way all over the site the physios are great the massage is right there it's all super convenient so it was like the first time in which i bought into all of those little things of seeing the physios a couple times a day getting the massage and getting the cool downs. It was the first tournament in which I kind of bought into that. And then I saw immediate success and I won my first Grand Slam match. So then it became very easy to buy into the whole process of, let me start doing these. Let me go see the physios even more now. Let me, you know, get the ice bath in after every match at a slam. Let me do all these other little things. Let me make sure I'm sleeping enough, all these other little things. And when I saw the instant effect of it, for me, it was just like, all right, let's keep doing it. So I think that's uh first thing on the, the off the court stuff. On the court, I think he's just given me a much clearer identity and and made me far more comfortable in coming forward because I I have a clear plan of what I'm trying to do and where volleys go in certain positions. Sometimes it would just be very easy if you came to net. You typically, at least with me, always like to volley open court. Guys who defend well can run it down, two-shot pass. That's kind of how it always goes. One of our first times when we actually, um, I think it was after the open with Ron, and we broke down like transitioning to net and stuff, volleying back behind has been such a huge thing and a concept and volleying with my body weight so if i'm leaning to the left and i'm taking a forehand volley don't not really trying to go the other way and taking it line but just going with my body weight and then positioning and being ready to be in an explosive position to attack the second one when i have the clarity of if i'm in this position i'm just going to hit the volley here it makes it a lot there's less thinking that has to go on and that was one of the first things that we broke down like hey if i'm serving a volley into a specific spot well, if they're now I can kind of shade where they're likely to take their return. Or if I'm approaching here, I kind of know where they they're where they may go. And if they go here, take it right back to where they are, because then it cuts off their options. Usually I would just try to go open court, everything drop and then guys defend well. I get passed all the time. So like me having that understanding when I'm coming to net now, it, it, it again, when I saw success of it pretty early, which was really in the indoor challengers mm-hmm. last year. When I, the the concerted effort of, of coming forward was probably at its highest and I saw I could do it well, then it was like, oh, let's keep let's keep doing a little bit of that every practice. Let me keep going to the physios. Let me keep getting the warm ups. It was just kind of a I think I got very, very lucky with the timing of him coming into my career. I was very lucky because the success that we had was pretty quick, which a lot of times does not happen after that it made it easy to kind of buy into all that stuff. Cause I started to feel more comfortable at net and I felt like I was putting together more consistent matches. I was winning three or four matches a week for a little bit of time. And then that felt good because that's something I hadn't done in probably years. I think it was a timing thing and just X's and O's on the court. And for me, the timing of me just being ready to listen and being ready to try something that may make me a little uncomfortable at the time. Because like I said, I was fed up after Chicago. I was, oh, I was like, man, I'm sick of this. Like I'm, I'm really, really tired of it now. So, yeah, I think it was a timing thing and 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 just kind of giving me guidance in an, an area, like I said, professionalism that maybe I didn't have or not, maybe not have been receptive to early in my career. I think from someone that's seen you kind of on court a decent amount, we practiced together um, when you were going for it and missing. I don't know if you always thought that was the right play. You know, I saw mm-hmm. you kind of apprehensive at times being like, is this the way I should be playing? And I think for people that don't know Ruan, he was always the last, like sometimes doubles players sneak into the singles event as alternates. For people that don't know, Ruan was like the last person you want to see. He played his style. He knew what he had to do. He was going to slice pretty big whippy forehand and then come to net and be scary. You know, this is a South African guy (laughs) literally marching to net. And for people that don't know, he took out Nori at UVA. Yep. Yeah. Charlottesville. uh, Had a challenger there in Charlottesville. So I think, you know, you said it yourself, but the honing in on the, on the identity 
Ruan knew how he played. He knew what he was going to do well. And he actually gained that success and probably one of the more underrated double singles players. Yeah, for sure. And should have been better. And I think it showed immediately where for you watching some of those early matches, it was like, oh, Chris is okay missing that ball. Where yeah, maybe the I think challenger, that was a big thing. Yeah. I, I, would, I would freak out over errant misses. <laughs> like now when I miss, I'm just like, oh, all right, well, that one got away. <laughs> or But but. I know that the I know what if it, I know the good misses and I know the bad misses yeah. now. The bad the good misses don't bother me nearly as much as they used to. No, we that see was, it immediately. Yeah, well, that was something you talked about on the court. People like really seized on that commentator comment that you mm-hmm. made in the on court interview about say being able to say, okay, that was a good miss in the middle of a match. It's obviously yeah. uh, sometimes it's hard to do that in the moment. But I thought back so many times to something you said to me actually in Newport last year which was that that time that you spent as a commentator, like, yes, it maybe made you see your tennis slightly differently, but it also freed you up on court because you were like, okay, if my career does end in a month, yeah. Yeah. there's something that I can make money doing. Yeah. And I feel like that's maybe a misconception, especially with guys who go to college. And Noah, maybe you can speak to this too. It's like, well, they, you know, guys and, and women as well, they went to college, they'll be fine after tennis. But starting a career at, like maybe 28 or, or 29 or 30, like that's scary. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, 100%. I, I think that, and I think that's a really good point. That there was a sense of calm that came over me when I first started doing commentary and I realized like, oh, I could actually maybe do this. Because then it's like, similar, like you say, worst case scenario, God forbid an injury, or I just can't win a match for however long. I'm not as worried about, do I get into coaching? Do I go back to school to finish my degree? Like what, what's, what would be the next step? I knew it. I said, Oh, I could do this. The backup plan is, is there. And I know it's there and I know it could be, I can do well. I was like, I feel like I can do well in this space. So then when I get back on the court, there's a freedom that comes with it. And I'm just kind of out there playing. And then it's a similar, it's not exactly the same, but it's a similar freedom that I felt even post Miami going on that three month, trip that I had to play te- to play Korea, Geneva, Paris, Surbiton, Stuttgart, Halle, because I was trying to explain this to somebody and it'd be easier to clarify it here. I feel like your career doesn't change that much going from 85 to 60 or maybe even 55. Top 50, it's, it's a fair bit different, but 85 and 65 is kind of roughly all the same. And it's a big jump in points like to kind of get there. So once I kind of got further enough inside the top 100 where I didn't feel like I was at a risk of falling out in a week or two, I was just kind of, I was like, okay, I got over that hurdle. Now let's just play and let's just, let's see, like, let's just go. And it's it's a similar type of freedom. I felt like just because once I got up 85, if, you know, I lost, I I lost, here's a perfect example was in that career trip, I lost to Vukic in the quarters and I had two or three match points. And after the match, like Ruan comes up and he's like, tough one, man, like, you know how to go. And I was like, hey, players are going to lose matches after they have match points. Like, you know, Fed had two match points against Novak in the final of Wimbledon. He didn't get it. And I'm sure his hurt a lot more than this one. Like, and I was just kind of like, just like, ah, you know, it's all part of the journey. Time to move on. Whereas if that had happened, if I was like 106 and that win could have gotten me into like 95, I would have been devastated. I would have been absolutely distraught. But because I was already in and I felt free, I was like, oh, you know, that's just part of tennis. Probably won't be the last time I lose a match after having match points. You know, just we'll figure it out and keep on moving because I just feel free. And and it, it's similar to that. After I felt like I had kind of what that backup plan would be, I was just able to play free. And that's kind of when it started. My, my mindset of being like, you know, just kind of embrace taking some chances, these winners, these errors, whatever. But, yeah, that was a, it's a very, very like, interesting point. It, now, like again, it does change top 50. <laughs> it's a little different now. Uh, that's when it does change that much. But, like I say, like, it, I just felt like – but even still, I'm not even focusing on it. Like, yeah, I think the, the cut – right right now I'm at 31. or And that's the cut – that'll be my cut ranking for the U.S. Open. That's cool. If I get seated for the Open, great. But a lot – most of the Opens that I played, I was sitting at, like, 160, 170. Like, relatively speaking, I'm going to be doing okay, like, if I'm, like, 30 or 50. So, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it, and I'm able to play free because I still have, I think – that perception of like the guy that was like 184 wow okay so. but it's it's easy to say that but but now you are you are a target 
I mean, yeah, you 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 might be seated at the U.S. Open. I mean, going into Atlanta next week, and congratulations on actually getting into Atlanta. Uh, I know next I, was, week. I was sweating a little bit. You know, <laughs> I was so nervous. Oh my goodness! How I mean, you haven't played yet since. So I, I know it's not exactly fair to ask this, but how are you going to handle the fact that now you are the target? You are a statement win for Alex Mickelson, who you beat in, you know, in Mallorca and now is a quarterfinalist with Blair in, in Newport. But how, how do you handle that? How do you just keep that same expectation level, keep that relaxed mode and just accepting of what is in front of you? I don't probably just not dwelling on it too much. I don't know. Like I don't I, I genuinely and again, I'm saying this and I haven't played a match since Wimbledon, but I'm genu- I genuinely feel like the stuff that I was saying in the media. And I think some people, it, you look at it and on its surface level, Noah's probably going to roll his eyes. But like, <laughs> it sounds super cliche of just me saying like, at this point, wherever my career ends up, it ends up like it's, it's very true. And it's r- truly how I feel. I think that for a lot of the years of my career, I obsessed over winning because of what it would do to like the number. Or like my ranking and that's where my drive was i wanted to win because i wanted that live ranking to move up six spots and that's and i obsessed over that and i've just sit here in the past six months i've i've been i've been way more invested in like the process of the stuff that we talked about going to the physios getting this if, if we're going to say we're going to do these specific feeds at the end of every practice hey ron let's get the feeds in let's do the stuff that we've been doing to get to this point and then wh- whatever happens happens like it's at this point, it's it's again, I it's I don't want it to sound overly satisfied, but it's a bit more like the cherry on top because of my perception for the past five years has been in that 150 to 200 range. And it's like I think there's a sense of gratefulness like that I'm in the position I'm in now and a sense of realizing that when I obsessed over winning and like my numbers and my ranking and what it could do, that's why I was 150 to 220. Like that's part of the reason I think that I was, there's probably other factors as well. I wasn't mature enough. I wasn't open enough to some change, but I think that was a big part of it. My 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 I was focused so much on the wrong thing. Whereas now I'm just focusing on like the process of it. I'm focusing on like making sure I get that treatment in or getting the cool down in or getting my protein in 15 minutes. Like at the end of the day, if I feel like I did all of that stuff and I go into the match and I give it a hundred percent and I lose in the match, I think I'll be good to be like, all right, on to the next week. We'll see. Yes. If, if, if I were to lose early and, and especially going into the open, which is going to be a big one, of course I'm going to be disappointed. But in my head, if I go through my checklist and the things that have got me to this point, I continue to do. And let's say I just had a bad day and I just ran up on somebody who maybe was just hot that day i take it i hold my head and i move on and get ready for the next week because i think it's shown that when i invest in the process good things are going to happen they may not come when i want them to happen i would love for them to continue for uh us open but if it doesn't and i can continue the stuff that i've been doing it's going to come together at some point and i'll be ready for it if that makes sense can i just point out quickly that at the beginning of this podcast no joke i wasn't sure that we were going to make it through like i felt like we had just surprised you at 6 a.m and you have like (laughs) morphed into tennis channel chris like before <laughs> our very eyes your face has become less swollen <laughs> oh my goodness listen when i woke up i i just i cannot believe I, my alarm didn't go, or maybe it did go off i'm just glad i woke up to noah's call and i'm glad my phone wasn't on do not disturb um I, that was actually very very clutch yeah because <laughs> it usually is and I, I felt the ring i answered it and it's at 8 40 i was like we were supposed to be on 15 minutes ago Hey, I PM, feel so by bad. the way, PM, PM <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is just a post Cracker Barrel <laughs> nap. It's no big deal. Well, I had three. I had three asada comodoros, tacos, baby, oh tacos. But I have to ask because you said satisfied, and I'm not saying you don't want to be top twenty, blah, blah, all that shit. But do you feel like you did something in tennis? Do you feel like you know, not not the whole work it was all for something, but you accomplished something. You you did it. Yeah, because I, yeah. you know, I, I I mean, I just when I'm outside or walking, people talk about three things, you know, because people don't really know tennis well, especially on the outside. So they always bring up, I would say, three things that you have, and we all have them. But now you have a ranking, which you could talk about. You know, it's not triple digits, and you say a quarter Wimby, like that's it. You could just say a quarter Wimby, you move on with your life. Do you feel that? No, I haven't felt the need to play that card yet. Uh, <laughs> no, but but no, no. To answer your question, like yeah, it it, it is cool. Like especially, I think that. And you'll know it, Noah, when like we're coming out or we're young and maybe we see a coach that we don't know and you'll kind of ask like, oh, who's that guy? And they'll say something like, 
oh yeah, that guy he quarters open. And in your head, you're immediately like, oh man, that dude was a baller then. <laughs> like or any pro am like, Blair does yeah, a yeah. pro am. It's like here's Chris and you know, yeah, yeah. or like one forty in the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you see like you're a, like oh shit, he's one forty. He's not that good. You know? Yeah, but, you see a, yeah. A, a commentator starts to talk in, and you're like, well, let me look up how good this guy was since you're here talking so much. And then you're like, oh, he was top fifty. Never mind, got it. No more needs to be said. Like, just be like, oh, yeah, I, I quarter Wimby. Kind of like you say, is a wild thing that, like, people, I, it's, it will be, to me, it's a wild thing that that's going to be attributed to me for, like, the rest of my time, like, rest of my life, pretty much. You could say, like, oh, yeah, he, he, final eight Wimby. Like, I got I got the pin. I got the pin right there. <laughs> like, it's literally over there. It's a like, pin? It's a pin. I can wear it on, like, a lapel. I want a little, I want a little more than channel. that, to be honest. But that, we'll talk about that another time. My nice suits on Tennis Channel. <laughs> I have my eight pin. You'll know. Custom uh, suits. <laughs> custom. Oh, now yeah. they're, they weren't custom before. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that, that is a cool thing to think about. That's, that's going to be thrown to me and associated with me for the rest of my life. And I know what, in my head, what that does when I hear somebody like, oh, yeah, that guy, he he quartered Wimby or he quartered the you're immediately like this guy was a baller like that's it's funny because I've, I mean, cool. I've junior Wimby I, like I'm coming back to tennis obviously to be top 100 before you um but besides <laughs> that <laughs> thanks um 10k I just I just don't want one of my three things to be a junior event like that's always killed me you know like I mean I mean, never I mean you played Rogers that. second round Australia Right, and that—that's also one there. of those things where you're like, oh yeah, that dude, he, he played fed like sick, not first round, because you're kind of like, ah, he played in first round. Oh, he played Roger second round. Oh, okay, never mind. Oh yeah, he's he's tough. I just I can't. That's always killed me having like a junior tournament being like one of those three things that a pro am or anything that I do. So that's always been. So now you're done. You have a ranking. <laughs> you have done. an ATP of. Well, <laughs> you're done. You, you, nobody cares anymore. You know, <laughs> but it's it's true. Like an ATP, which is amazing in the tennis world, great. Just outside, people don't care. You know. Mallorca is not going to be hey, make a break. Hey. Much. No, uh, it's true. It's true. Where cares? I care. <laughs> I always care. I will be I a cares. no matter what. Oh, God. Blair, you're never invited back, ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the group chat now forever. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I just had one follow-up, and I feel like it, it's... I feel like this is a it, setup. Mike knows well, that Blair has something. because the No, way no, know, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> okay. I, I feel like it's sort of a tale as old as time, though, that, you know, just like if you think about wealth, this is like wealth in terms of results. But if you're thinking about like material wealth, you get used to a standard. And over time, if you don't have that standard, it could become more disappointing. It, how important is it to have people, I mean, maybe in the group chat, I don't know, the people you're close to, your mom, who I can't wait to meet at the US Open. Okay. Uh, just like the people who are close to you to remind you of these things that you're saying, because I do think there could come a time knowing how well you can play, knowing that you can be the one hitting 321 winners at Wimbledon, that maybe there could be disappointment. So how important is it to have those people who can you know, slap you upside the head? Yeah, I think I think it, it is important for sure, because I think that's the one that's so many things around a person can change fast. But what's always kind of grounding is like those same voices and those same people kind of delivering the same message. Like that's a good way to continue to like pull you back home and to ground you and put you back. OK, like let's let's think, continue to think big picture. And like you say, remind you of these conversations when things aren't going well. Oh, maybe I need a change or maybe you got to accept that. You have to continue the process and the, just trust the results are going to come when they're going to come. Like, remember, you said that. And I think that's 100. That's probably one of the big, biggest contributing factors to people who have been able to have a lot of success, but they still stay hungry and they stay grounded and they stay like themselves because they surround themselves with people who constantly can remind them of that. I, I do think and again, very it's very easy to say right now, I do think that because I understand how hard it was to get to this point, I don't think that. I'm going to have as much of a problem continuing with this mindset, yeah. even if things are going poorly, because inevi inevitably they are like there, there comes a time where no matter how fast players will send up, they, there's a little bit of getting stagnant at some point where it's it's you've seen this rapid ascension and now they have some rough weeks and they may be a little up and down. It's going to happen. I, it's part of the tour. Guys are too good. It, it's going to happen. And I think I know that. It's even more of, like I say, reinforcement to con just continue to put my head down and just focus on the process and then where it plays out, it plays out because you can only control so much in the sport. And it's like, I'm going to control what I can control. And that's worked for me. After that, we'll, 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 we'll figure the results out when that, when match day comes. 
life lessons. Mike, you want my All last right, thing Mike. before you or no? You go ahead. My this is the, this is my favorite part when you know people around me came up to me and they're like, you know, Chris did it, you can't, and I'm like, we're not the same here. <laughs> like what? <laughs> that how many times that I, I told one of my closer friends, I was like, you're not gonna believe it. Six times today, somebody come like, yo, Chris. I was like, yeah, it's motivating. Can't wait to get back to tour. I'm excited. I know there's potential. He's a six foot nine black man. No, no what? I'm a five foot nine Jew. Like, what are we doing? We're not. This is Noah. You too can hit 321 winners in a Wimbledon. You too. Well, you missed yeah, my maybe in, I maybe said in like I, 10 I, years. I, I said I haven't done that in my career. <laughs> I, I chuckled. I chuckled. Yeah, I appreciate that. But I was like, are you kidding? We're not. This is not apples to oranges. This is apples to chicken. Sorry. No, no listen. Was, wow. Wow. Yeah. wow. Yeah. As wow. soon as it came out, you know, it was thinking. Wow. And then the first food. You know on yeah. Twitter how they have the racist bark dog? Or the, the little. Oh, yeah. or, 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 wolf. That's, wolf. that's wolf. racist. Wolf. Yes. Wolf. Yeah, yeah, that's yes. Wolf. <laughs> wolf. Wolf, 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 wolf. This is what happens when you keep us going. It's 10 o'clock. Welcome yeah, to the group chat, the Blair. So, so, <laughs> so happy to be here. Let, Noah, let, let, let me ask oh, a question, God. Noah. When you said God. chicken, what do you mean by that? Fried chicken. How was no, this chicken prepared? I didn't prepared? say it. I didn't say How was it. it prepared? Go ahead. Not, tell us. not, not fried. It's not fried. Okay. Grilled. Grilled with Grilled. no flavor. No flavor. No, no seasoning. seasoning huh? <laughs> no. Very, very clever, Noah. Way to wiggle your way out of that one. Right. I'm sweating. You I, should be. Yeah. Um, Black Twitter is going to fry you after this. Appropriately. No, I think it's still on top right now. So I think we're okay. Oh, my God. Uh, so I'm going to try to bring it back to a more positive light here. Uh, Chris, I, I wanted to say, first off, thank you on the the morning of the Daniil match for you to send something on Twitter about me was, I yeah, that I'm not going to get over that for a long time. Thank you. I knew you were going to get emotional when you read it too. And I was just I sitting too. in bed like, I'm going to just make Mike cry. I'm I, whole, I hope you he did. cries when you, <laughs> you, you, so you actually, I cried, I, all, all kidding aside, I cried when you won Mallorca. I was watching with Marnie. No, did you really? I was watching with Marnie. She looked at me and she said, are you crying? I'm like, no, when I tell yes. you I had to speak to Marnie about this, I asked Marnie. She said, my my father cried. Got, my uh, father it got cried. It she got didn't me. even want to. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. She didn't call, say my dad. She gave yeah. you the government. Yeah, the government. My Lord. father. <laughs> I wanted to just express how important I thought it was for you to highlight your relationships with and, and what you've learned from Naomi. From Coco, your talk with Kim Kleisters, I, I think that was incredibly important, probably overlooked, but I, I, I think it's, I just can't say enough about that because I know that's who you are as a person. The, the lessons you've learned from top female athletes and how important that is to express that, kudos to you on that, my friend. Yeah, if you want to say something about that, great. I, I just, it really touched me for you to be that vocal about it. Yeah, I mean, I think greatness knows no gender. Like, and, and, and one of the things that I've noticed from my time around Naomi, some of the time that I've spent around Serena, the time that I've been around Coco, the time around Kim, some of the greatest tennis players, like, yes, obviously Coco doesn't have a slam and the jury's still out of you know, her career, what she accomplishes. At the very least, she's been, what, top five in singles, uh, Grand Slam finalist, number one in the world in doubles. So, like, I'm going a, I'm to a love her in it when I say it. Some of the greatest tennis players to play it, like, in the past 20 years, their mentalities is one of the, the craziest things that I just found to be so, so different. And I could see there's a common theme and a common trend amongst really all of them. I think Coco has it in, at such a young age, which is really impressive, but her competitiveness, like, hating to lose, hating to lose, and the mindset that they have, like you say, going into a slam, it's it's they don't step foot on genuinely. They do. They, I don't think they step foot on the court if they don't think and know they can win or going to win. I can't say that every time I step foot on the court, I go out there knowing I'm going to win. But I think that I've done a, the more that time that I spent around them and I see that that's kind of how you have to be. The more it's been easier to kind of bring a little bit of that and incorporate a little bit of that into my mentality. And it comes from just being around them and having conversations and talking to them. And and, and I'm incredibly thankful for those relationships because um, I definitely think that they've served and, and benefited me benefited me greatly uh, just being able to have that access to players like that. All right. I, then my say, I was ahead of my time with that uh, Chris Eubanks picking up the phone to yep. 
to cook We're on your time on that one. I'm sure. I'm sure, mean, I'm sure the open. You're gonna have a very good one this year. I'm sure. I mean, Jeez. it could. It's gonna be a 10 minute long video before I get through your famous people Rolodex. Blair, that was that was exactly my next question. Your your TikTok about him. I who is the most outrageous person that has reached out to you and you've made a connection with over the last couple of weeks? Do you? Uh, I did a talk with Carrie Champion today on her show, and she asked this question, and I couldn't. It was tough to really like pinpoint because I knew I was going to forget some people. I'll throw some names out there that caught me way off guard. I got a chance to meet Hugh Jackman in Australia. He came and he supported me in my third round match against O'Connell. That was crazy. Christy Brinkley hosted me on her story, which I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that wins the prize for me. I was like, wait, wait a second. Listen, Listen, so that one surprised you. That one surprised me a lot. I had one earlier, right before my nap, actually, that I saw for the first (laughs) time, and I couldn't believe it. It was Sheryl Crow tweeted at me. I'll send it to you. Sheryl Crow tweeted at me. It was I was completely like, like, I think I liked it. So if you go on my Twitter and you search my likes, you should see it. But she tweeted at me. Yeah, it was uh, July 12th. It was like what uh, Wimbledon tweeted that video he's, that says he's acting uh, like it's not his wallpaper right now. <laughs> it said it said like uh, what a ride! Congratulations on a remarkable run. Cheryl Crow tweeted, "Tough loss, but Chris Eubanks, you inspired me and my boys today at Wimbledon." Hashtag That's Chris Eubanks. Crazy. Hashtag Wimbledon twenty twenty three. And I went, Cheryl Crow, Dwight so, Schrute. Yes, Rain yeah, Wilson. Dwight, Rain yeah. Wilson. Yeah, that was a good he re- one. He tweeted something. What? The- yeah, oh, that one went everywhere. Yes, I had no you know idea. I didn't see it. Oh my goodness, I didn't see it. Uh, I had no idea. I didn't see it. So that, that's, I got to go find it. I'm glad you told me that. Uh, Wendell Pierce, yep. the actor, he tweeted at me, which I thought was really cool. But yeah, so th- those are the the people that I can name off the top of my head. There, there's others. There, there's definitely some people in my phone. Um, I just can't think off the top of my head. But those were the ones that it was just, they were just so like, what? Like, you can know about me? Like, that was crazy. What's the crazy purchase? I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Blair. No, no, go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, what's the what's the crazy purchase that comes along with the exorbitant amount yeah. of money that you have earned over the last few do weeks? You own, do you own stock in Kith, or how does that work? <laughs> is that just... <laughs> you have to have one, Chris. Yeah, yeah I, the thing don't is, lie. I'm, I'm not lying. I, I, I don't right now, because also, it's like I came back, I'm here for maybe a little bit about a week, and then I'm back kind of in tournament mode. So at some point, probably after the Post open, US I open. Like yeah, yeah, I have like yeah, two yeah. or three weeks. Like I'm going to do something. I don't know what I'm going to do something. Can I come I, right now? I'm just kind of like just setting the <laughs> New York is not the place to be. Oh, that is. <laughs> yeah, not the place I'm like, to be. I'm like, I'm like, and a winter and a winter. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Crazy that's good. Like, yeah, I think I'm, I might get to meet Anna winter. Sorry. That just came out of nowhere. Just remember that one. When you said New York, I was like, oh, yeah. Speaking <laughs> of New York. Uh, how how does one receive that kind of money? We get we is get like a, a legal deposit? like a like a uh, a legal summons that says <laughs> at some point at a date uh, to be named undisclosed later, and yeah at an undisclosed <laughs> and I went over like to meet you sign well, here and then, and then they burn it right in front of you. So you can't hold on to it. Oh, right. Basement okay. of the Met. <laughs> that's the Anna Wintour summons, but like that amount of money. Like, I feel like that's something that nobody ever talks about. Like at the end of a tournament, you go to a desk, I believe. There's usually sort of a desk for these things. Is it a direct deposit? Is it a yeah. So How does you, it work? You know what's funny is apparently I didn't realize that this was such a an interesting point to fans. Yeah. Because I've been asked multiple I, times, yeah. like, how do you get the money? And I'm like, well... <laughs> Oh, I get it. So it's supposed to be wired the Thursday after the tournament. <laughs> they send the wire on the Thursday. You never really get it until maybe the following Monday or Tuesday. Occasionally, it's been another like Wednesday or thir- the second Wednesday or Thursday after the tournament, and it can be a bit frustrating, especially for players like, especially over slams when you were in qualies. It you, I, you would always go to the prize money office and ask like, can you guys send it directly as opposed to waiting and doing it through the ATP? Because you know if you wait through the ATP and you lose second round qualies. You got to wait for Qualies week to end, first week to end, and second week to end. They send it at the end of that week, and you might not get it for another week. So there's so much time that goes by. But, yes, uh, to answer your question, you get a prize money receipt. They show you the tax that they're holding in the country. Oh, that was tough. That was tough. The tax that's withheld, like they go ahead and yeah. we'll take that, and then they give you what's uh, what's left. But, yes, it is a deposit. Um, Wimbledon does a great job as well of just sending it after your match, which mm-hmm. is a big help. 
So it's like whenever your match ends, they typically will send it, I guess, to the end of that day, maybe the day after. But they don't wait until the tournament ends to then allow you to get your money. They send it in between, which is great. A lot of tournaments used to do it. I know I think the Open used to do it. French definitely used to do it. I'm not Australian maybe used to do it, but they all kind of it's I think it's maybe a little bit easier just to let it go through the ATP. Just kind of like, oh, the ATP has your info. You can just do it that way. But I think from a player standpoint, it is nice when we can go and say, hey, we're, you're going to send it today. So I'll get in maybe like four days. OK, great. Like that's a lot better than having to wait sometimes two weeks. So all of that money is in your account now from Mallorca and the quarter. Yes, Michael. Mm -hmm. <laughs> can we all come and go to Chick-fil-A together? Oh, yes. I would gladly sponsor a team Chick-fil-A, except Noah, because Noah thinks I eat fried chicken all the time anyway. I don't, I you don't guys are more than well. know what you're talking about. They have grilled guys, chicken. Yeah, but Noah specifically said fried. I heard him. He didn't think I, I heard him, but I heard him. God, it's late. Come on. You were sleeping. You were in REM cycle before this. Man, I was. I think I was twitching, too. I was for sure twitching, because when I sleep good, I twitch. This is this is officially my last question, and then I feel like Mike. We can we can ask leader, questions all night, Blair. Well, I kept you guys waiting. Let's do it. Let's well, do it. <laughs> how uh, how thrilled are you that thanks to our like four by four production room at the Dallas Open, the world knows oh that God. your nicknames yeah. are Giraffe, Daddy Long Legs, and yeah. Toothpick? Uh, the fact that that made it to ESPN. Yeah, Blair, you are so famous. Can I have an autograph? Mm -hmm. <laughs> No, well, all you could hear is me wheezing in the background. But I <laughs> no, it was Maddie that was doing the wheezing. Oh no, 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 no! No, it was Blair. That is me from behind. Blair, the that camera. was you doing that wheezing in there. I yes, because I have ruined so many shoots because I have laughed through. I stuff. thought that was Maddie the whole time. She because was the si camera only she was a silent her. laugher. Yes, no, it was me. I was the wheezer. Blair, come on. <laughs> I'll wheeze for you now if you want me to. It's really, it's not great. Uh, but no, I. I think in some ways, though, that's what made you relatable. Just yes. like because we all have ridiculous nicknames. I don't know. That didn't make you a lot of things make you relatable, to be clear. Uh, but just you being able to have fun with that sort of thing is part of it. Yeah. Coco's just all of a sudden just hijacked the giraffe emoji and it's just use it ex just yeah. specifically for my Instagram now. That's this thing to do. It's always giraffe. Now other people are doing it, and it's just it's taking on a life of its own. The Daddy Long Legs one, that one caught me completely out of left field by Sloan. That was very good by her. And two pick by Francis. I knew that one, so I wasn't too too shocked at it. And that's just classic Francis for you. But, yeah, no, I guess now I have just, you know, so many people different nicknames. People, people, I got options. You know, you, you get you somebody who can do it all, right? You get you just, you got me, you got about four or five names. You want me to talk about tennis you want me to play tennis you want me to what you need i got it i'm like a swiss army knife you I, know? I don't think you want like any of the nicknames that noah has for you though that's no, no no you know why because they're probably motivated by race it's all never. noah <laughs> noah just loves loves no. the good old race no, the glass houses no we're we're perfectly fine here thank you so much no any last okay. last thoughts from you big fella have you you paid him the have 10K? a lot to say when we stop recording where he just I just wanted to post a thank you video, and now half a million people see your hand in my face. It actually went viral. Hey, can we talk about you You adding me as a contributor to that post, Noah? So there was like a there was like a you won you won. I saw that. I said I know he didn't really add. My Instagram has been flooded over the past like four or five days. This guy really just trying to get some get some attention. That's the end of it. I said I was just gonna steal some cloud. Have you met Noah? What else are you good for? Jeez. Any any last thoughts from from the actual talented journalist here? You you've hit with a Wimbledon quarter finalist over the last couple of months. I mean that's a big deal. I, I will say I do appreciate that enough people saw that that the number of texts I got. Chris, no way. I, I'm not I'm not lying. Like, are you? I mean, are you taking credit? I was like, no. If you actually look at the results, he needed a couple of weeks to get it out of his system. <laughs> And then he started to play well. His <laughs> detox not, program. It was not immediate. Good stuff. No, I, I think my my final thought is just that, I don't know. It's just, it's like a very pure feeling yeah. to have, to just be really, really happy for someone. And I think, I feel like we all sort of felt that. And it was just like a pure 
emotion. I don't know. It was just really cool uh, as as an observer. And I know it was really cool for you. And there are going to be so many things that happen in your life in the next few months. But yeah, it just I've, there's like a, a proud of you-ness. But that makes me feel like I'm 95 years old. But just <laughs> yeah, just really happy for you. Well, I, Blair, I don't want to speak for you. But like, I think you and I, the fact that we are a little bit older than these players, right? There's that kind of like big brother, big sister type of thing that, you know, we we get very lucky to have these relationships with Chris, with Noah. Well, maybe not so much with Noah, but with a lot of different players. And it's um, a lot of people always ask me, are, are you proud of Chris? And I'm just like, well, sh- sure. I'm just more so just happy for him because I know how hard he's worked. I've, I've had that special window in to kind of see that. And I think that's the same for you, Blair, is that we we get to see a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. And it's so remarkable when everything comes together and you see somebody who is a just a, a great human being get to have a great moment and and get lauded for that great moment. And that's what was that was so cool for me. Like I couldn't even watch your matches. Like I couldn't watch the Steph match. David Nankin's giving me updates on Medvedev. He's like, that's the best tennis I've seen in years. That the third and fourth <laughs> set. And said that? Yeah. And I'm just like, I I can't, I can't, I'm just so happy for him. I can't, I just can't. Um, I, I, you deserve all of that. Um, and that's, that's what I'm left with is that you worked hard, you put in the time and on top of it, you've treated every single person that you've, you've dealt with over these last six years with humanity and kindness. And so for you to have that moment and get all of this kindness shown back to you is I think as deserving as it gets. So uh, congratulations. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. I, I, I mean, that was a, that was a, that, what a way to go out there. You just, you <laughs> trying to muster up a little emotion from me. You came close. I was there. I was right there. <laughs> Man. When, we started when, with adult film, film stars. I mean, and, and, look at, look, and look at how we've how far we've come already. Jeez, but no, seriously, thank you, Mike. It, it, I, I'm sure the the perspective that I think you've had has been probably a very unique one because you've seen so. It sounds this is going to sound like super old, but you've seen so much and you've seen so many players at different stages in their career. You've seen the young phenoms that have come up past mm-hmm. you and leave the challenges and never come back. You've seen the players who start off as young phenoms go up through the challenges, come back down for a little bit, have to find their way, and then go back up. So you, you've you seen so many, and you've seen the players who've worked like me to take a while to kind of get there, and then all of, all of a sudden it's like they're just kind of shot out of a cannon, and they're experiencing a lot of success on some of the like bigger tournaments. And you've seen all that. And so your perspective, I think, is really is a very, very unique one because yeah. not many people can say that. Like a lot of commentators, who, if they work, just at the Grand Slams, they see, you know, the young talents of Alcaraz and like Hol Garuna, Center, Musetti, these guys, they see them come up, but like they didn't see as much of like the, the come up. Yeah. Like the original come up, you know, they, they saw after they had already kind of mastered certain levels of their game or elements of their game that allowed them to progress past the, you know, the, the top 150 or top 100, you know. So your perspective, I think, is really, really cool because you've seen in the beginning, you've seen players go up, come back down, and you've seen players work to get there. And so for you to say all of that, I think that really means a lot because I think what you've seen in tennis is probably unlike a lot of other people in the sport. That is accurate. Yeah, I have seen some shit, (laughs) to say the least. And most of it has involved tennis Sandgren. <laughs> wow. It's weird, weird how like we had another one of those moments in Chicago a couple of weeks ago. You would have enjoyed it. Chris Eubanks, thank you. Blair, it's always a pleasure as well. Um, I'm glad you could lend some gravitas to this this podcast. I appreciate that very much. Man, I felt really honored to be here, and I am not joking. So I will be anyone's cheerleader in this zoom call anytime <laughs> you just let me know i will i will cheer you on and noah and again so, sorry for being yeah. late because i was just i was too been a long one but we should have known we, we thought the ghosting <laughs> 31 in the world but we should have known it was just a long nap just a long nap he just got too big time huh he just forgot all about us and no no zero chance zero chance about that all right thanks we chris you, thanks we love everybody here bye the show might be over but the conversation isn't Join us on social media at NoahRubin33, at MikeCTennis, and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.